1: And I'm Callum, sharing my perspectives from both being an entrepreneur and working in a variety of different companies. Whether you lead a team or a business, you'll find practical tips, inspirational insights and ideas as we discuss a wide range of leadership topics. So with that, here's today's episode.
0: Hi, everyone. Very delighted today to have David Noor. Now, David says there's lots of Davids around, so we should, we should remember him as Noor. And he's a very prolific book writer. He's writing book 12 now, which I think is quite extraordinary. David is from Atlanta, Georgia, USA. And he arrived in the States 40 years ago and couldn't actually speak a word of English. You would never guess it from when you hear him talk. So his latest book is called Benders, and it's all about creating non-linear relationships and how they are going to impact the future of work. So we're in for a very interesting podcast today. David, a big welcome to you. Thank you for joining us. Perhaps you'd like to add-
2: Delightful to be with you.
0: If you'd like to add to the intro, feel free to go ahead.
2: No, that was lovely. I need more friends
1: like you in my life. Awesome, well, it's a pleasure to have you on the on the podcast, David. Thanks very much for taking taking the time to join with us. I think we're going to have a, a really insightful conversation here about all your experiences from your uh, experiences writing the books and uh, your previous roles as well.
2: My my so pleasure. I'm in... looking for this dynamic. This dynamic duo looks really exciting. This is this is going to be fun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> For sure. So jumping into the first question, David, um, we often like to ask kind of uh, around like what's your sort of greatest experience of, uh, of great leadership? So could you perhaps just share like, a few thoughts uh, around that?
2: Please? Yeah. Yeah. So to me, great, you know, great leadership is really uh, three legs to the stool. Uh, one is uh, unequivocally a visionary storyteller. So if you think of uh, Elon Musk, if you think of your member of Steve Jobs, if you think of uh, uh, Jeff Bezos, without that vision, without the ability to articulate that vision of here's where we're going, here's how we're going to get there, you're going to have a really difficult time finding, more importantly, sustaining talent, which is the lifeblood of many organizations, to kind of not just join you, but stick around and really perform at their best, because now we have a we have a vision, we have a mission, we have a direction of where we're going. So number one, a visionary storyteller. Number two, I deeply believe in this notion of servant leadership. And by that, I mean, if you think of a traditional org structure where the executives are at the top, and then the minions are all below them, I, I, I've just, I don't see that as, as kind of the future of, of how organizations will work, So if you turn that pyramid upside down, I've always really enjoyed being around leaders who genuinely not just say it, but believe that they work for everybody else. And and my job here is to remove whatever obstacles are in your way for you to do what we need you to do. That's true servant leadership. That is, and I've got examples of that I can share with you, but leaders who will never ask others to do things they wouldn't do themselves are just exemplary. And they're phenomenal to watch in their natural element. The third one is really that leader that leads with what I call, You and it's a friend of mine, Peter Bregman has written a book about this called emotional intelligence and leading with emotional courage. And what what Peter talks about is you, you wouldn't be human as a leader if you didn't feel. You have to let yourself feel angry. You have to let yourself feel frustrated. You have to let you, if you don't feel everything. Soon, you're not going to feel anything. The key is to separate that emotion from your decision-making, to separate that emotion from your problem-solving. So I coach people, don't become permanently stupid because you're temporarily upset. If you you separate that emotion from your decision-making, you're less likely to say something you're going to regret. You're less likely to do something you're going to regret. Uh, And those are just some of the attributes of what I've observed in just phenomenal, phenomenal leaders.
0: Could we just drill down a little bit on one of those points? I'm very, very interested to explore a bit further this um, process of decision making where we use our gut, because our gut will give us um, a kind of sense of what the decision should be. We can look at all the facts. But that gut can sometimes be linked to emotion. So how do you square that off when you talk about separating emotion, but also listening to your gut?
2: No question. So, so that intuition you're referring to, that gut feel you're referring to should be a data point, right? But it also should, should supplement that with, uh, I coach a lot of leaders to build what I call an inner circle a small group of relationships you don't have to try to impress you like them you know them you trust them and vice versa and and let that be an independent sounding board particularly for critical decisions let the data uh, i'm a big believer of hard on performance soft on people so so results and outcomes are are definitive and that's what we got to agree to and by the way have long believed that relationships go bad with misaligned expectations. So I work and I, and I coach people to work really hard to align and recalibrate expectations often, because if you promise me a, a different level than what I actually experience, the gap is where we're gonna have a problem. So align, recalibrate, ensure alignment on expectations. If for whatever reason, the outcomes you're after don't happen, I am as interested in why something didn't happen than the fact that it just didn't happen. So the gut feel may say that person needs a break. By the same token, I can see that they're checked out. I can see that they're no longer interested. I can see that they're no longer willing to do the incredibly difficult work necessary to be world-class. So my gut feel should be one data point, not as some sort of an unconscious bias to ignore insights from others or data that definitively shows we're just not tracking in the right direction.
1: Kind of paraphrasing what you said uh, just a minute ago, there, David, about like the three aspects of, of leadership: being kind of uh, having a strong vision, being like a servant to the team, and ha- demonstrating strong emotional intelligence. Um, I think you mentioned you had an example of um, being like a, a, a sort of servant to the team and, and the organization as the leader. You sound like you have an example of that. Is there one you oh,
2: maybe? Oh my gosh! Share? Yeah, I, I got to tell you, uh, this one, this one just really took me by surprise, which doesn't happen often. But uh, so here, here in Atlanta, um, the, the Harvard Business School has different clubs around the country. Uh, I, I didn't go to Harvard, but there's a relationship with Emory University where I did go to school, and they, the pre-pandemic, they had these uh, regular. Uh, leadership breakfast meetings where they would invite a very prominent executive to come and talk about their journey and kind of what's happening. And um, here in the States, particularly in the Southeast, but they're growing, we have a, uh, a a quick service, a fast food restaurant company called Chick-fil-A. And Chick-fil-A was was started uh, here, here in Atlanta, here in Georgia, and uh, by a father, now there's two or three, you know, sons that work in the business. And it's the Kathy family, and now Dan Kathy is the CEO. By the way, uh, four billion in revenue. Fascinating example that you can't just be an owner if you're not an operator. And they put fresh flowers on tables. I mean, it's just it's just a very different culture. I know they're uh, former head of uh, HR, and they genuinely have built a culture where they talk about it's my pleasure to serve our customers and. So it's just a really unique organization. But Dan Cathy, the CEO of this $4 billion company, was was the speaker at this breakfast. And it's a room full of senior executives and just really top notch folks. And of course, they serve Chick fil A, you know, sand chicken sandwiches for breakfast. And the man walks around picking up other people's plates. And I'm, I'm, I'm having an out-of-body experience. Like, this guy runs a $4 billion company. But it's the nature of who he is and the culture of that organization that they deeply believe. no You're never too good for any job. By the way, I can talk about leadership or I can demonstrate it. And for him to walk around and pick up people's And there's servers there. And there's certainly wait staff. But that's who he is. And that's what he believes in. And that's that whole culture. So unfortunately, a lot of organizations, there's still that mahogany row and a huge disconnect between that mahogany row and the mailroom. And there's a lot of perceptions of this elite executive staff. And, you know, that's too good for me. And and that's, that's a place where you shouldn't just walk. You should run. Because if that senior, if that senior staff is not willing to do what they're asking everybody else to do, uh, they still have a dinosaur leadership mindset that I don't believe is sustainable, particularly in the post-pandemic world.
0: I think along with that, it's um, people. The executives have the parking slot right outside the office door. with their name on it you know
2: (laughs) i'm sorry are you incapable of walking a little bit or or and why don't we put those for the customers or better yet employees of the month or some other way to celebrate others not your highness (laughs) yes
0: (laughs) oh i couldn't agree with with you more on that front uh, David, I'd really love to explore what you mean by linear relationships and how that's going to impact the future of work.
2: Yeah, so so in this latest book, Curvebenders, um, as I said earlier uh, in our conversation, every book for me starts with a question, full, full transparency, I'm 53, I've been thinking a lot about what the future of my work, let's just say in the next decade, will look like. So... One thing that this global pandemic, I think, showed all of us is the disruptive force, not just in the way we work, but also in the way we play and the way we, um, you know, not just work, but play and and also give to others, right? So as I thought about other disruptions and the entire chapter two is our longitudinal research shows 15 forces that are going to continue to disrupt every facet of our lives. I thought a lot about how do you remain relevant? And, and the, the assertion is the only way for any of us, particularly as business professionals, particularly as knowledge workers to remain relevant is continued learning and growth. So you need a growth mindset. You need a digital mindset. You need an entrepreneurial mindset, regardless of the size of the organization or the logo on your business card. Right. And, and, Learning in our past, and I would submit in many ways in our present, is what I call linear growth. So learn, 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 maybe at some point in the future, apply. And if you think about our undergraduate degrees, right? I don't know when's the last time the two of you looked into differential calculus. It's been a while for me because we kind of learned that and I got the piece of paper. We kind of forgot about that, right? Converse, so that, so that 45 degree linear growth, the truck ramp, I don't believe is going to suffice when there's all kinds of disruptions all around us. So then what's the answer? Well, I don't need a four-year MIT or Oxford degree. What I really want to do is learn how to code and I can do that in 30 days. So if I learn how to code and use that to solve a problem, then learn something else and solve that problem, then learn something else and solve that problem. What I'm doing now is daisy chaining these learnings together, and it starts to become more of a hockey stick, so a nonlinear growth that is much more relevant, that's much more real-time, that keeps me fresh. So right now, cryptocurrency, NFTs, um, the whole blockchain movement, uh, the whole quantum computing, and not just technology, but business model innovation, these things are not going to go away. And again, as a business professional, as a knowledge worker, if your head is buried in the sand, you're going to wake up and you're going to realize you're no longer relevant. So if you then buy in on that nonlinear, that hockey stick growth, what I found out in my assertion, again, is relationships, a few, but really strategic relationships, accelerate our path up that ramp, accelerate our path up that hockey stick. And these are the people who've done it. These are the people. So right now, if you want to know what NFTs are, go find a relationship who's already well-versed in that space. And they will accelerate your ability to learn what it is, how it works, how people trade them, why their value is what they are, so on and so forth. And that is your best way through a few really strategic relationships to accelerate your learning, to accelerate your growth, and in many ways reinvent yourself. And that's how you remain relevant.
1: Sounds like that's something that you've had 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 time to, to put a lot of thought into and, and kind of <laughs> write write a book around. How I'd be kind of interested to explore and just like a bit more detail about how that like pertains to like relationships specifically. So having like a non non linear relationship, could you just explain a bit more about and kind of like what that looks like, David? Sure. The best example I can give you is.
2: Um... Uh, That shirt you wore 10 years ago Mm -hmm. that you haven't worn yet in your closet isn't helping you (laughs) (laughs) make room for new shirts or new clothes you want to put in the closet. As we learn, as we grow, as we mature, certain relationships become very relevant in our world. Some are very transactional. Right. So we kind of do work with them or work for them and, and they're relevant at the moment. And those I call a, 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 you deal with them for a, a reason. Right. There's a reason for us to interact. And that's why we're doing this together. Put several reasons together and you get a season. So now you and I work together over some period of time. And by the way, we've been through some ups and downs. And our relationship has not just survived, but it's strengthened. So a reason, transactional, a season, a little more, a little more kind of ongoing. You put several seasons together and you start to build relationships for a lifetime. And those relationships tend to become transformational. By that, I mean, they push us beyond even our own perceived limitations. They see the best version of ourselves when we may not see it ourselves. They, um Believe in us. They have a vested interest in our success. That's not a transaction. It's not like we're paying them or we're asking them to do this. And here's the best part that that my research and interviews led to. They shape both our direction and ultimate destination. So think of that university professor beyond any other ones you had that just left an indelible imprint on not just what you accomplish academically, but who you become. Think of that first manager or first boss that took you under his or her wings and didn't just teach you a product or service. They taught you how to be an empathetic leader. They taught you how to be a servant leader. And you remember them 10, 20 years later. And it's because of them that you're the leader, you're the human being that you are today. Those are the relationships that we tend to remember those are the relationships that we greatly value. Those are the relationships we never want to let down. Those are the relationships we learn an enormous amount from, and we want to pass it on to others. Those are the relationships I call curve vendors. And they are critical in our personal and professional reinvention, going back to a comment I made earlier, so we can remain relevant.
0: tips, David, would you give to somebody to have a curve bender relationship? I get a sense it's very much about giving, but there's probably a lot of other aspects to it. I know you've talked about um, a number of different points here, but what would you say if somebody was striving to to have a curve bender relationship, to have an impact?
2: Rebecca, your brilliance is in the questions that you ask, because there's a whole section in the curve benders book that's Made up of seven steps to meeting potential curve benders. So let me just share a couple with your audience. One, I, I mentioned earlier, is a, it's a really strong personal foundation. You, you have to embrace this growth mindset. If you're not growing, you're going to become complacent. You're not going to be relevant to anybody. So, growth mindset, as I mentioned, a digital mindset, because it's all around us, and one of an entrepreneurial. So, if you think of entrepreneurs, creative scrappy resourceful they don't take no for an answer they they learn in their in their failures and grow through them so that personal foundation is critical number 2 that unfortunately you you start i'm starting to see a decline in is an unparalleled professional commitment to whatever it is you're doing today Rebecca, and again, I alluded to this earlier. A lot of people like the idea of being successful. They're not willing to put the incredible work necessary to get there. So uh, in the corner of my office, I have a, a clothes tree. And uh, on it are all the name badges from my speaking engagements from the last 15 years. So as you can imagine, so I I typically pre-pandemic, I would do 30 to 50 annual keynotes, 30 to 50 times 15. This thing is like growing a life of its own, right? And anybody that comes in the office and sees it like, oh my gosh, what is that? And I'm like, that's what it takes to be a great speaker. That's what it takes to be able to carry an audience. So you have to be committed to, I don't care. And my dad drove this into me. I don't care if you're a garbage collector. Make the commitment to be the best garbage collector you can possibly be because it shows. It shows in how you show up, right? Then there's a catalyst, something that says, either I want something greater or I have an aspiration or I've hit a ceiling, but you have to have some aspiration in this journey, what I call from now to next, right? So what's the next best version of you? If you're a director today, yeah, and you have an aspiration to be a CEO one day, why don't we just start by getting to a vice president level? Right. But it's that you have to have that. What's that next level of growth? What's that next level for me? Then you have to immerse yourself, immerse yourself in understanding all that you can about that next step. What will it take for me to become a vice president? What do those vice presidents do? What's a PL? How do I manage? How do I run a PL? So you have to commit yourself to understanding what that role, what that next step requires. You have to build. A strong portfolio of relationships. If you do that, they become phenomenal sounding boards and learning and growth opportunities. You have to execute on that journey. You have to actually go for it. You have to go look for opportunities to get and at bat get a chance to become that vice president. And then you build what I call a connection cadence. You have to come back to your relationships and you have to update them on your progress. When you do that, they see your commitment, they see that you're determined to get to that next level. And those who have a vested interest in you and your success will do all they can to help you get there. If you do those things, you put yourself in a dramatically better position to meet potential curb vendors.
1: Awesome, thanks David. It's yeah, it's really interesting what you said, It's kind of like being proactive, isn't it? And really going after what you want and not letting it kind of come to you in a nutshell. Almost.
2: You're exactly right. And it's just, it's, it's, it's sad. To see so many people sit around and wait for it to drop in their lap, I, I I don't I don't I don't get I've never had that happen to me, so I'm not sure how that exactly happens. But you know, here you maybe maybe those those people that win the lottery. But I you know for me I've, I've always worked for whatever I've had.
1: As we um as we sort of get towards the the end of the podcast, David, there's one there's a question I'd really like to ask from your side, and would be curious to understand why as well. Are there any kind of leaders in particular, either sort of um, people that are maybe famous with books or on, on TV or whatever it might be, or those that you've come across in your own kind of uh, career. Is there any leaders in particular that you really admire? And I'm sure there are. And what are the reasons kind of behind the admiration, if you'd be happy to share? There, there are
2: unequivocally leaders that I admire. Um, let me just, let me just share a few names that they, they, they may or may not make any sense to your audience, mm-hmm. but these are folks that I've, that I've known for, for a number of years, um, a, a, a gentleman named Alan Weiss, W-E-I-S-S. Um, he's a, a, a solo consultant for a number of years, and then he's become an advisor or a coach consultant to other consultants. Um, Alan doubled my business uh, the first year I met him. And not only, uh, in, and I wrote about him in the book, he's one of my curve vendors. So not only enormous amount of intellectual horsepower, but, he He doesn't need to be liked, so he brings a certain level of candor that pushes you to think, and you may not like his responses, but you respect him for not only what he's accomplished but for what you can learn and how you can grow through that relationship with him so I've spent a lot of time with Alan and um that level of candor is refreshing. So when everybody tells you what you want to hear, he is very raw, very real, tells you exactly what you need to hear. And, and a lot of leaders don't get that level of candor. So that's number one. Um, then I think of uh, another executive a gentleman named Randy Seidel. Randy is um, was, was the number three level executive at Hewlett Packard, HP, very accomplished uh, now he's the CEO of an organization called the sales community. Randy lives a lot. And I've been coaching him for a number of years and we've become personal friends. Randy lives the relationship investment and nurturing advice that I give to a lot of executives, to a lot of leaders. He, he exudes that in who he is, what he does, how he does it. Um, so, so those, are, those are a couple, um, I, I've been blessed to, to work with some amazing leaders. I've been blessed to be around some amazing leaders. Alan Mulally, former CEO of Ford Motor Company, former president of Boeing Corporate, uh, interacted with Alan several times. He is just exudes that servant leadership, that empathetic leader, that, that brilliant leader that knows how to guide an organization to greatness. Um, so I, I, I'm not, I'm not impressed by titles. I'm not impressed by wealth. I'm in awe of how leaders show up and the authenticity with which they show up and the impact they have on people. They are stewards of that's, that's awe inspiring. That's leadership. You, uh, Gary Ridge, is the CEO of a company called WD-40, the lubricant company. Yeah, yeah. And he's Australian and brilliant, brilliant guy. They don't have employees, they have a tribe. And he's so deeply, at, at every ounce of who he is, he so deeply believes in his culture and and finding and retaining great people. Um, these are the leaders you just, you you, you genuinely enjoy being around because they make you wanna become a better person. And those are the leaders that I, that I admire immensely. And, and I could go on for
1: days. I love that, it's kind of people first, always, isn't it, above all else. us? Thanks for sharing, David, that's very insightful.
0: David, one kind of question as we come to an end and then it's an opportunity for you to share what you would like to share with our audience. Um, and my question to you is what three pieces of advice would you give your younger self knowing what you know now?
2: Uh, you want three or you want like several hundred? I mean, Rebecca, I understand the podcast. <laughs> this podcast goes for like 24 hours. Is that true? It's like, we could, we could talk for a lot. No. Um, Why don't we? <laughs> right. Uh, one. Um don't be so quick to judge. If you, if you suspend that judgment, you'll be exposed to uh, brilliance in the most unlikely places. So suspend that judgment. Two, um, invest in fewer relationships. One of the myths or misperceptions I've learned over the years is that everybody wants more I want more contacts. I want more social media followers. I want more. I want more. The If you think about the last 18 months in this global pandemic, the people we've spent time with has actually been fewer, but the real, the authentic relationships. So invest in fewer, but more meaningful relationships. And the third one is um, buy Apple stock at $17 and hold on to it. If you do that, you'd be a wealthy man. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, learn about, learn about investing, learn about finance, learning about those, those er- much earlier in life. Um, a friend of mine says um, age is a terrible price to pay for wisdom. And unfortunately, a lot of us learn about money and finance and investing much later in life. If you learn, and I'm trying to teach my kids this early on, uh, don't take on debt, save and invest more. It makes later years a lot more comfortable and the freedom. And, and again, this is just something for your audience that might be really useful. A mentor drove into me, real wealth is discretionary time. So if you if you build wealth early on, later in life, you can choose What you want to invest that time in and that discretionary time with your loved ones, with your family, with your friends become real wealth.
1: Amazing. Very, very uh, poignant, I think, points to end on, and something I can certainly take away from that. I have time to go and uh, do some investing, I think. (laughs) Um, David, it's been a real pleasure having you on the podcast, and thanks very much for everything you shared. It's been really insightful, and I've definitely taken a lot away from it myself. Um, what we like to do at the end of these podcasts is give our guests a, a little bit of time back and share anything that they've com- got coming up in, in their life, in their career. Um, so what would you like to share with our audience? Maybe it's something to do with your book, careers, business, whatever it might be.
2: So thank thank you both for having me. Delightful to be with you. Uh, I, I I would just, I'd love to continue the conversation with your audience. Um, so I would just say uh, norgroup.com. Group, N-O-R and if you go to slash forum, uh, I don't know about you guys, but Unfortunately, and regrettably, in the last uh, few months, a lot of the public social networks have become highly promotional, politicized and polarizing. So we've created a small community and I belong to four or five other ones. And it reminds me of like your favorite deli or your favorite bakery or so. So we've built one just for this topic, relationships and change and innovation and growth. And again, NOR group, N-O-U-R group dot com slash forum. It's a private community. Come join us. Let's continue the conversation. I love meeting new, interesting people and to obviously talk about some of these ideas. So come join
1: us.
0: Well, that sounds like a great offer. I'm going to be joining. We'd love to develop these conversations with you further. David, thank you so much indeed for sharing your ideas and your thoughts with us. Being most inspiring and very, very interesting indeed. So thank you.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks, David.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed it, we welcome a review. And if you have any questions and like to get in touch with us, you can do that at the rjen.co.uk website.